Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Morton, who is the founder and head coach at the Practical Leadership Academy. Paul, welcome to the show. Uh, delighted to be here, Paul. What a fantastic name we both have. <laughs> Certainly. I've, uh, I use it every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we get kicked off on some of the stuff, particularly around the Practical Leadership Academy and the great stuff stuff that you do, um, can you give us a bit of background to yourself? Who are you? What's brought you to where you are today? Sure. Well, my mother and father met back in... No, sorry, <laughs> it's been back too far, isn't it? So I'll, I'll, re- I'll rewind, you know. No, I've been uh, trying to make money ever since I was about 13. So I started, I've been working forever. Right. But for about the last 25 years, I've been working for learning companies, digital learning, and then it's sort of morphed into HR tech. And I've had every role you can imagine from uh, coder to salesperson to marketeer, products, technical and everything. And I ended up uh, in revenue leadership for the last significant, significant amount of time. Hmm. I did that for quite a while and then was a COVID victim. Um, and left my last company, fabulous bunch of people called Cross Knowledge, left them about two, three years ago, and I've been set up on my own since then. So I've been coaching and mentoring people since then, coaching uh, inside revenue leadership, uh, execs in high growth, scale up startups, that sort of thing. Hmm. Uh, And uh, been finding out that there is significant needs and impact able to be made when you think and focus on people at the very, very pointy end of organizations. And for me, these are the the managers, the team leads, right, who are responsible for individual contributors. Right. Typically are neglected. Yeah, yeah. A um, couple of interesting points I just want to pick out um, of that initial uh, experience area. You mentioned revenue leadership or revenue manual. What For those of us who aren't uh, as au fait in that space, mm. what, what, what has that been? What does that center around? What's your experience in revenue leadership? Well, I mean, when I talk about what it is I do in that space right now, I talk about making more money faster. Right. Right. That's what the idea is. So, and that encompasses revenue really encompasses the idea of in an organization, it's everything that comes from finding people to sell to, right? helping to sell to them, having sold to them, then making sure that they get what they've bought and that they keep wanting to buy more. Right. And this is typically in SaaS businesses, so that's software as a service businesses or product or, or whatever it is as a service, yep. uh, where there is an element of recurrency hmm. and recurring revenue is a function of recurring impact. So you have to keep delivering what it is you say you're delivering and more of that, please. Yeah. In order for people to say, yes, please, I'll have this again this month, this quarter, this next year coming. So revenue for me encompasses uh, going out there and working out who am I going to sell to? What is this market I've got? How am I going to approach it? What's my ideal customer in there? Mm. Uh, what, what do they do? that I can fix or make better or make easier for them. 
and then trying to, to break all that down into a buying journey. How, you, how do I bring people on a journey where they want to buy something from me? Right. It's not selling to them, mm. it's helping them to buy because most people recognize they have a problem. They are experts in their problems, but they don't know how to fix them. So if you can find a prob somebody who's got a problem and is trying to fix it themselves with some sticky tape, chewing gum, and a couple of you know, sharp pencils, and yeah. then you come to them with some clever way of fixing it that's going to, going to cost them tuppence halfpenny versus the 50 quid that they're spending at the moment, mm. they're going to say, hang on a minute, instead of £10, I can spend £1 and have solution X, where do I sign? Right. And it's helping them go through that journey and understanding that there is a problem they have that mm. there are impacts for it, that it's costing them a certain amount of money, that you can have a solution for it for a tenth of that money, and that that problem is easily solvable with whatever the platform tech thing is. Nice. And uh, the other bit I, I just wanted to pick up on was you were saying you were, you've been working and earning since you were 13. You know, what, what was it that drove you in those early stages? Where, what was the drive Object within poverty. you? poverty. <laughs> <laughs> I was piss poor. I wanted, I wanted money in my pocket. I mean, I was. I started off uh, washing dishes in my local restaurant. Right. I was door to door sales of chocolate bars. I uh, was a waiter in, in a god awful hotel in the little town where I came from. Um, I did a lot of uh, retail stuff, a lot of bar work, a lot of stuff. I ended up. I had a great time at university working in lots of theatres. Sounds okay. very glamorous, darling, you know, yeah. working in theatre. I was in theatre. I was selling ice creams. Right. <laughs> I was selling ice creams and programmes and uh, eventually I got promoted to be a key holder so I would open the door uh, for all the actors and actresses to come yeah. through and practice and this. So and I got to see loads and loads of fabulous shows in Edinburgh where I went to university. Right. There was the Edinburgh Festival, of course. So I got to see all this stuff fabulously free. Well, everything up to the last you know three or four minutes before the interval at which point you leg it downstairs to the freezer to bring up the tub of ice creams right so i got to see like you know phantom of the opera and les miserables 150 times <laughs> so it was great fun <laughs> amazing I was, I was just talking to uh another guest who uh we don't know which order these podcasts are going to come out on but it, it will be a uh another episode with hugo pickford wardle um who is doing some great work with teenagers and helping teenagers in that sort of work experience, the early teens area, aiming to get them earning 16K by 16. Um, and, you know, that whole driver of you can help them. Kids are, are always motivated by something. They've got ideas, they've got things out there, but nothing motivates like, I'm going to pay you for it. Oh. <laughs> Particularly in those uh, those teenage years, aren't they? It's a, it's a real motivator. Well, there's so much more, though, that comes from work. And I think it's one of these great societal things that um, we've got so many people now in the UK specifically, we've got what five point something ridiculous million people who could be working but are not. But there's so much that comes from doing a good day's work. There's so much that comes for the individual themselves. There's so much uh, benefit, warmth of spirit, of endeavor, of hope of capability of there's so many parts of our psyche that are rewarded by doing something and doing it well yeah being you know, part of something well. adding value those sorts of great being things, part of it? something bigger than yourself yeah but also just doing a good day's work 
Yeah. Preferably for a good day's pay. Yeah. Fantastic. And um, so that brings us on now to what you're doing with the uh, Practical Leadership Academy. Can you tell us a bit more about that in terms of who you help and how you help them? Well, the idea is to help uh, new managers, typically new managers in a hybrid environment. So as we find, there's many people stepping into management roles uh, and they don't have a Scooby, yeah. quite frankly. What happens is you get all these new managers, typically young, and the new managers are the managers of the new employees, typically young. So the new employees coming into an organization, large or small, their first experience of management is rubbish because the people who are managing are rubbish. And it's not who they are that is rubbish, it's just what they do. They just don't know how to do it yet. Mm. They haven't learned yet. And the support they get is pants. It really is very, very poor. Mm. So what I came to, and I'll tell you how I got there in a minute, what I came to was the idea that supporting these people is in some way my attempt to change the planet, change the world. I've got two young kids, and my daughter was talking to me. She's 11 going on. Uh, 16. She's 11 and she was talking about um, uh, her going out to work and all this. And she can go out to work. I think in this country is still at 13 when she can go out and get a job. Right. And by God, she will. You know, Not only because I'm going to kick her out the door and make sure she does it, but she's driven to do that. And I was thinking, oh, God, help her if she met me in my first job. It's kind of like a dad thing. Right. The dad thing is, I really don't want you to ever go out and meet boys because you might meet me what, like I was at that age, and just I was a turd, totally. <laughs> um, but I was also, when you think about it professionally, I was a dreadful, dreadful manager. I left this trail of destruction behind me. And I still, every time I, I think about it, I apologize profusely to anybody that had the misfortune to encounter me when I was learning how to manage people. So the, the, the crap that I got, I, I put people through. Mm. I mean, there's one thing I woke me up the other night. Actually, I, I remember berating somebody in the middle of the open area about some work they hadn't done, thinking, oh, I could have just turned the corner and gone somewhere private. You, yeah. you <laughs> So I can't remember the guy's name. I think it was Francesco, actually. But if, you, so if you're listening, Francesco, <laughs> I'm so sorry, buddy. I really am. <laughs> um, it's like the 12-step process. You've got to go through and find everybody <laughs> named and, and apologize to them. So back on track. Yeah. So my wee girl going out there and I'm thinking, how can I help make sure that she doesn't have to go through this god awful experience that I went through, not only being managed by somebody bad, but being a bad manager. Right. And it came about by I was offered, I was asked by one of my clients to deliver a leadership management training course. And I did, I pulled out, you know, uh, course number one, and I said, is this going to cover all the topics? And the, the, the person I was talking to said, yes, that's absolutely fine. Sounds perfect. It was a Oh, I don't know, it was like a four day, three hours a day thing. Went down well. Everybody seemed to like it. But some of the feedback I got back was very pointy. Right. And I don't do that, thank you very much. I want triple A, wonderful, top notch, fabulous feedback. Mm. And, and I went into it and I dug into it and I found out that it was very young people who were giving the feedback saying, no good no good not practical not usable too much fluff and nonsense and i want because i think people desire really something that's eminently practical and eminently workable and eminently useful in the yep. moment and that's not what i was doing i mean i, I had a section in fordism and terrorism and there, there for goodness sake you know management control and all that sort of stuff for the 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 factor factory-based worker rather than the cognitive creatives that we are today Mm. So I took it away 
threw out 80% of the content and came up with the playbook that I, right. I, I, I put out to market. So I've run this now a couple of times uh, as a coaching thing. So what we do is we do 25 minutes with about 10, 15 minutes worth of content and about 10, 15 minutes worth of coaching in the right. moment, twice a week. Tuesdays and Thursdays is how I've been doing it. 9.30 in the morning, bright and early. 25 minutes, one topic at a time. So it's how to have a one-to-one, right. how to listen, how mm -hmm. to give feedback, how to have difficult conversations, how to set goals, how to hire, how to fire, all that sort of stuff. The stuff that I've drilled it down to 18 things that you desperately need to know how to do to be a competent, decent manager. And right. in fact, if you can actually think about how you do these and do them well, that in itself is the definition for me of excellence. Right. So that's what I did. Boiled this stuff down, put it as a course together, and I deliver that now. Um, but I normally run about once a month uh, to a group of about 10 people at a time. And yeah. it's fabulous. It's great fun to do. Because in there, I also chuck in uh, like, like an open clinic every couple of weeks so people can bring their challenges and their troubles. Right. And we have a group session, group confab. I'm trying to fix that. Yeah. Then somebody said, you should record it. I went, I suppose I could. So I did. Hmm. So I've recorded it, I put it online, and it's available as like a digital course as well. Right. Uh, and it seems to be quite popular. Sold hmm. a few hundred of them, thank you very much indeed. So it's quite nice. Nice. So yeah, that's what I've done. Oh, fantastic. And um, yeah, I mean, just echoing a, a few of the points there that I've experienced. Uh, firstly, the the early manager in me, was I've got some apologies to make uh, from my past oh, we as all well. Do. Um, and just... It, it's very rarely, if ever, done with any bad intent. It's mm. it's always like people going in, going home and trying their best with what they know at the time is is my take on things. And um, and it's not that people are trying to be a bad manager; they're trying to to get results, and they think that's often the the sort of the main driver to being a uh, to being a good manager is to drive the results that are in front of them, um, and that that leads to maybe not thinking about the humans in front of them too much. Mm. Uh, so that's my experience drawing on for being very self-reflective and looking on my early days as a manager. It was, um, uh, I could learn a lot from that space. Um, mm. Is that the sort of thing that you you see? Do you, do you echo that in some of the people you, you've worked with? I think there's a lot of bad advice out there for a start. Right. And I think people tend to miss a few of the major points not least of which is that you've all of a sudden given this job title of manager mm -hmm. which means you're the boss you're in charge you're in control you have power <laughs> right so your ego comes straight into play and as an early younger manager my ego was all over the place you didn't recognize that it's actually a tool mm -hmm. uh, but it's also it can also be a weapon so right. it can be a tool to, to, to drive you to, to, to success, to get you up on stage, to perform, to do stuff like that. But it can also pull you down. And when you start making decisions based on your ego or where your ego is telling you what to do, they are quite invariably bad decisions, mm. harmful in some cases. And then equally, when you're considering what to do, some of the advice like um, first things first, no, yeah. no, 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 last things first, <laughs> last things first. What are you trying to achieve? Why are you here? What is your job? My job is to be the manager. E of whom? To what end? 
Why? Mm. What are you trying to do with this this management hat that you are now wearing? And uh, not considering what the role of you, what the role of your team is in the context of your company mm. and from the revenue side of it as well, especially in the context of the person who pays the bills, which is ultimately the buyer. What is it you're supposed to be doing? That's the thing that comes first. Then you work backwards from there and fit everything else into the blanks. Mm. Oh, brilliant. I love love that sort of uh, term I heard a while back, right to left thinking. You know, it's a yeah. st- start with the end in mind, move your way backwards on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to pick up on a, a point you were making earlier as well about if I'm hearing it correctly, you're saying that excellence is almost the basics. It's about it's doing... It's absolutely the basics. Yeah. Excellence is absolutely the basics, and it's been fairly well prone. Mm. There's, a concept, there's a concept called deliberate practice, which is how anybody learns anything. Yeah. One piece at a time, but it's one piece of the right thing at a time. You've probably heard of the 10,000 or 20, whatever it is, 10,000 hours of practice. Yeah. It's rubbish. Absolute rubbish. It's 10,000 hours of the right practice. Right. Starting with the small stuff, mm. right? Now, something like 80% of results comes from the first things that you do, the simple things that you do. When you get good at something, then you start looking at the hairy ends of the scale of the, 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 the difficult stuff. If you think there's a one, the wonderful piece from the British cycling when they went to the Olympics and they started wiping down the spokes of the bicycles. Wow. Make sh- to get the dust off. Mm. They, made, they made sure way before hand sanitizers were a thing and a common cocktail that we all started to imbibe. Yeah. Um, they were using them and they were telling people, if you have the slightest change in temperature, stay home. Do not bring your illness to the team. So they were wiping the dust off the spokes of the bicycles to save weight and to stop clogging up the gears because that was the level of performance improvement you could achieve. It's, it's the minutiae. However, you put me in one of those bikes, I'd fall on my backside. Yeah. Right? It's like, you mean, you, you've got a background in McLaren there. There's not a yeah. chance in hell I could drive one of those cars. No. No way. You have to be so far down the line to make have any impact improvement from those sorts of levels of performance improvement techniques and things mm. that we spend so much of our time on because they're shiny, because they've got fabulous names that we're distracted. Mm. And we are distracted from simply putting one foot in front of the other and doing that and doing that very, very well. It's to my point, Mm. it's having a good one to one is one of the most powerful things you can do to drive performance in your team. Yeah. Simple as that. Mm. Get setting clear objectives that somebody reiterates back to you and owns and then delivers against is how you drive performance. It's how you drive people forward. It's not by thinking about the moonshot, crazy end of the scale stuff that once you've been through Crottonville for General Electric for 25 years and you have a phenomenal whatever it is, Mm. you can tack on these crazy uh, hacks to what you're doing. Start with the basics. The basics can be magical. They are magical. And the basics, well executed, is the, the the very definition of excellence. Fantastic. I, I was talking to a, a, you know, the potential client the other day about incremental gains and mm-hmm. uh, you know the, the whole value of that and fund, you know just accidentally stumbled upon um, 
an equation around that or some maths that sat behind it. And I thought, I'm such a, a, a can be a maths geek at, at times. And it's like, if you start off with one as your standard performance and you have a one intervention per year that ups that performance by 20% or 50%, say, let's say 50%, it's huge, massive intervention that change, ups your performance by 50%, you're going to end up with 1.5 at the end of the year. That's your performance. If you start with one and do 1.01 the following day and and then you do 1% on that and you do those compounding gains, so it's 1.01 to the power 365, mm-hmm. you end up with 37.8, I think it is. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's streets ahead. It's those doing those basic things but doing them slightly better day on day uh, but making sure that you – not only do them slightly better, but you put those chocks in place to stop you from rolling back as well. You know, to make sure you yeah. got the basics in place. Yeah, we regress so easily, but yeah. it is these fundamentals. And the, 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 the I was asked, oh, what sort of impact? When can I expect some impact from this this thing that you offer? Mm. I was thinking about ten minutes. <laughs> oh, that's not right. It's totally, mm. totally, ten minutes. Right, yeah. giving somebody feedback that they act on, rather than just go, yeah, whatever. Mm. Feedback that they act on, 10-minute impact, guaranteed. Right. I mean, even looking at one of the first things I talk about in the, in the course is your time. Because new managers, especially, in fact, absolutely every manager, is time. Yeah. And my estimate is that, and I haven't been proven wrong yet, is that if I help you look at your calendar and think about what you're doing differently, just ever so slightly differently, take you 10 minutes. I can save 25% of your time mm. in about 10 minutes flat. Right. You want to go further than that? We can probably make it about half of your time. Half of your time is whittled away against the wall, and we can probably find it with a few simple techniques. And then you look at prioritization, and then you look at actually the, the things like time boxing and mm. how you manage your calendar. Huh. Yeah. Who, who wouldn't want... A day to a day to uh, to two days to two and a half days a week oh. free in their diary. <laughs> what a what an amazing piece of value. Wait, easy one, right? If you want to have a week extra, there's fifty two weeks in the year. Yeah. Okay. And we each get here in the, the Europe side of the West, what six weeks of holiday? Mm-hmm. Why don't you go to your boss and say, boss, if I can find an extra week in my calendar, can I have it as holiday? Now he or she will say, not a chance in hell. <laughs> but, you go into your calendar, find the meeting you hate that everyone else hates and cancel it. One hour a week, job done, multiply it by 52. Thank you very much indeed. Good night. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. I was done now, Paul. That was, that was yeah. fun. <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, I've experienced that myself in the past. Now, cancelling meetings or and uh, and cancelling reports as well. If you If you're responsible for reports and just stop doing it see what happens see if anybody notices yes absolutely yeah, yeah the amount of time and effort that can support brilliant stuff um i want to ask you about your performance now so mm. who do you go to how do you improve your own performance keep uh sort of sharpening the saw for yourself you know uh, where do you go to to up your own performance well i was uh, a great guy called john uh my gym and he very occasionally wanders over and corrects my grip and moves my feet around and makes me hurt even more than I do. And he corrects my performance. So that's the physical. Right. It's very well there. And that's incremental. That's very small things, but it's getting the basics right. It's getting form right. 
it's getting, it translates it all translates translates into every field you like yeah it's there's a wonderful woman that i don't speak to enough called teresa uh who has offered me fantastic advice over the many many years um i have friends who lean in and, and say that's an interesting idea have you thought about right and there are people that i coach who offer me advice in return i mean there's a lovely thing about people who are mentors or coaches and uh, number one is a great cure for imposter syndrome right if you ever feel uncertain go be a mentor to someone else you don't only, you only need to be one or two steps ahead of the game and mm. you're an expert well yeah. you're an expert in their eyes one or two steps ahead of the game of their game and you're an expert in their eyes be that mentor have somebody turn to you and say how do i and you of course your response is what are your options you don't give them the answer what do you think and you help them find it themselves mm. that's more coaching than mentoring really um but the people that i work with and mentor i get so much more back than i feel that i give right i get great response great people say oh thank you so much i was promoted i was like fan bloody tastic another one yeah um and there was a report, I was a CBR, CBR or Harvard or one of those things. And it was like, people who get a coach or have a coach or a mentor are three times more likely to be promoted and all that. And at the same breath, it was people who are a coach or a mentor are seven times more likely to be successful. Seven, wow. I can't remember how they measured it, but I yeah. do remember that. And it's so true. Mm. It's just so true. I get so much more out of the people that I actually work for in essence, yeah. then I feel that I get. Yeah. So that brings us on to um, something that we've got in common, which is uh, you've run a podcast. Uh, so I was lucky enough to be a guest on that podcast recently. Um, and I'd just like to ask you firstly what that podcast is all about, but also what value do you get from it? How does it help you perform? And you're a phenomenal guest as well, Paul. <laughs> Much appreciated. Yeah. I had all these conversations with people. I just, I'm a, I'm a bit of a blitherer. I love to talk to different people and try and learn from them. And it occurred that I should try and capture some of that wisdom and knowledge and share what it is that I learn more widely. Mm. And it's the Practical Leadership Podcast, available wherever, wherever you find your pods. Um, Practical Leadership Podcast. And... The goal for me is to capture the wisdom of, I'm aiming for 100 people. Right. If I get to 100 people, then I'll sit back and reflect. I'm at 30 so far. Nice. And capture the knowledge and wisdom of 100 people so that you can learn from their experience and try not to replicate their mistakes and capture some good how-tos. Right. How-tos, always the title of what I put together. How to lead from the heart, says Neil Oden, of the, the chief fire officer of Hampshire. Phenomenal yep. guy. Yeah. They're all really interesting people. And I get from it the opportunity to talk to some interesting people that I perhaps might not have otherwise done. But typically I do try and re lean out to my network and connect with different folk all the time anyway. Mm. But the fact I can now capture it means I can go back and listen to them again. Mm -hmm. If I fast forward through the bits where I'm talking, where the boring bits, and get to the the good stuff the meat of the conversations is normally phenomenal it's such insights that people can bring out yeah 
it's, it's I've found the whole experience to be uh, very cathartic, but also hugely inspiring and hugely um, uh, inspirational from a perspective of here are the sorts of things I could do potentially differently, uh, different uh, avenues of bringing my own skill set somewhere else, but also just learning new things and new approaches from people that wouldn't necessarily have come to me naturally. So uh, expanding the network, talking to people, listening, um, it doesn't have to be through a podcast piece and, and certainly from an early manager perspective as well, trying to link that back. It's about talking to other managers, isn't it? And it's about talking to people I, my experience in those early stages was people didn't talk about how to be a manager with other managers. <laughs> so who's having that conversation? I've got this um, complicated conversation I need to have. How should I go about it? It's um, you know it was always a case of I've just had a really bad conversation with somebody because it was a, a really uh, complex situation that I, I was ill prepared for. Yeah, and I, tr- I trod on it. it was, I made an absolute arsehole of it. Yeah, yeah. it was. 12 years before I met my first real manager who really inspired me to the fact that management leadership is a practice that you should, could, and must develop. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful man called Jacques Levy. And I'm honestly a bit embarrassed that I haven't invited him on, but I'm a bit, I'm kind of reluctant to do it, you know? I really do, I, I don't. <laughs> Save it for episode 100. Well, do you know what? Maybe I will. Maybe yeah. I will. Maybe I'll do that. I'll save it for episode 100. This is, I know, because, um, and I'm not honestly in, in touch with him as much as I, as I wish I was. Um, and it's not for lack of desire from, I'm sure, either of our parts, because we always got on really, really well. I don't know, it's just a kind of, I'm almost kind of embarrassed. Mm. Yeah. I don't know, I just am. Um, anyway. Yeah. Yep. Oh, Jack, listening. Sorry, buddy. Listen. <laughs> um, so a couple of uh, different questions now to to close things out a little bit. One is um, if you could take your skill set and your experience and help anyone, any individual team organization to perform, who would you like to, that to be? I don't know if there is a spe- specific name. It's not like, oh, I'll go and help the Twitter you know, content moderation team or something daft like that. Yeah. I don't think I've got somebody there in mind. I. What I do really helps so, I hope, right, it's intended to help so many varied groups. Uh, I mean, I, I work with people who are both in HR tech, who are in the healthcare business, right. charities, um, uh, all sorts of different organizations, all sorts of different people and people, different, different people stages. The things that they have in common is that they have a desire, hence talking to me, mm-hmm. a desire to improve to do better for the benefit of the people that they support right that they have in their charge Mm. and it is almost a parental thing frankly and it doesn't it's not really surprising that my real leadership journey i think moved from being management to leadership moved from being um practical to being more um led from the heart when I became a dad. Right. And you realize very quickly the parallels. Mm. It's such a responsibility, but it's also such a privilege, mm. such a privilege to have the opportunity to help other people perform. Mm. It's from holding the, the, the hands of your, your little boy or little girl as they're taking their first steps mm. and knowing that they have to fall over. Mm. You cannot pick them up. 
Yeah. Can't stop them falling over. It's just innate. Nobody says, and when your child takes their first steps and lands on their arse, you must. <laughs> no, it's just, you just know it to be so. Hmm. But they must fall over. Yeah. To the point where I was teaching my daughter to ride a bike and, and said to her, uh, right, when we're doing this, you will fall off and it will hurt. And when it does, you must get back on your bicycle and it will take you at least 10 times to fall. And she did. And she yeah. fell off four times or whatever it was, quite, you know, skinned her knees. Mm. Right back, lo yeah. and behold. But, yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's, that, that's the sort of, that's <laughs> the sort of uh, thing that I would try to do. Brilliant. And on the flip side of that, if you could sit down, have a, uh, a coffee, a beer, a glass of wine, whatever your thing is, uh, with somebody, have a chat um, in order to inspire you and, and ultimately up your performance, who would you want that to be? Oh, it would have to be a fantasy dinner party. Totally. I love to cook and I love to drink good wine. Nice. It's too short for bad wine. So I would have uh, Isambard Kingdom Brunel. I would have Donald Trump, Bonnie Prince Charlie, and possibly Charles Dickens. Isambard Kingdom Brunel, the Bristolian who built the bridges and the, the, the trains. and the, Yeah. Oh, that's a phenomenal engineer. I would like to ask him. Uh, <laughs> there's so much you'd like to ask. Him. <laughs> yeah. Where did he get the ideas from? Yeah. How did he? How did he not? Because he wasn't necessarily the, the 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 big creator. He was the doer. You know, mm -hmm. he was the guy that got stuff done. Mm -hmm. What was it like to work in that Victorian environment, where you could make phenomenal changes? The SS Great Britain. The, the Clifton Suspension Bridge, all these amazing things. Mm. Donald Trump, possibly one of the most persuasive and influential people on the face of the earth right now. Mm. If, you cannot deny that the man has reach and influence. And I, I just want to have a, a little bit of insight into how he does what he does. I mean, I've been studying influence and persuasion and even hypnotism for the last 15 odd years. Right. You can see there's a lot of that in there. And you look at his history. And he was influenced by people like Norman Vincent Peale um, and, and those uh, preachers, early mm. preachers. Right. And him and his dad, uh, Fred Trump. Mm. They both went to the same church. Bonnie Prince Charlie, 19, uh, 19, huh, 1745, a Jacobite rebellion. I, I really want to ask, what is it with you and Flora MacDonald? What was going on there? Did you really take the speed bonnie boat over the bridge to sky, over the, over the river, to, over the sea to sky, mm. and find out? from from him what made him come back what made him dig in and come back from exile to do that yeah. and then dickens mostly because i absolutely love he's my favorite writer right for no other reason than uh he has such clarity and precision in his writing and such emotive his, his use of his use of language of course yeah. but his use of names he comes up with these amazing names scrooge <laughs> yeah. sounds marvelous yeah yeah uh, just to to round things off, in terms of how people can find out more, both about you know the Practical Leadership Academy, maybe get in touch with you, um, and your podcast as well. How do people find out more about those things? Well, as the Practical Leadership Podcast, it's on Podbean, Apple, Spotify, you name it, you go find it. Yeah. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn naturally, so uh, Paul W. Martin, you can find me on LinkedIn, and Practical Dash leadership dot academy practical right. leadership academy 
you can find me there as well. More Absolutely. than happy to talk to anybody about anything. Brilliant. And I'll make sure those links are in the show notes so everybody has, has those there available to them. Well, a fantastic and really fascinating conversation there, Paul. Really appreciate your time. And uh, best of luck with the Leadership Academy. I'm about halfway through the online course at the moment. I'm going to continue that over the next uh, uh, week or so. And I'll keep you posted with my progress. And uh, thanks for being on the show today. An absolute pleasure, Paul. Thank you very much indeed. I really enjoyed the conversation. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale, and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.